You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media. Um, and uh, we are here um, for this episode with at-large council member Christina Henderson, who had her trial by fire a couple of months back, the, the getting to know you, uh, you know, sort of Oprah session. Um, now the good news is we can get down to policy. Um, so first of all, welcome back, Council Member Henderson. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. No problem. And I wanted to, you were in the strangest of situations, which I guess a lot of people are in this country. You've started a job, but you haven't started the same job that you thought you were starting. You know, you're not going to the office. You've never uh, sat on a dais with your colleagues. Um, mm -hmm. How, talk a little bit about that. How strange, I mean, you're, Lord knows, you're working incredibly hard. Your questions are always on point with the uh, uh, council mayor COVID call. You uh, have welcomed a new little one and it's amazing the, the work you're doing on both of those fronts. But how, talk to me about this weird, like maybe in January or February, you're gonna kind of start doing the job you thought you got a while back. Yeah, well, so, I'll push back a little bit. I, I, I have been doing the job. Oh, Lord knows. Not disputing. It, it is not necessarily uh, in the format that we thought it would be in. Um, you know, uh, it's December 9th. So we're almost one or I am almost one year in. And uh, I was telling some of my colleagues, you know, if we think about it, we've only ever all of us been in a room together one time this entire year. I have not been in a room with all of my colleagues except for via Zoom. Um, and, you know, I also joked with the staff, like, I don't even have a nameplate for the dais. <laughs> my predecessor's <laughs> nameplate is still up there. Um, so I'm excited. You know, the council building, um, we're going to start um, meeting in person in January. And I'm excited for um, that change, but also curious, like, if that will change the dynamics of debate and conversation and perhaps how efficient we can be in terms of getting um, the work done. But, um, you know, I also don't know what it's like to be a council member without COVID sort of omnipresent over everything that we're doing. Yeah, just such a such a strange scenario. I think we're all all curious to see. And also, if we return to we're not going to return to the normal of pre-COVID because right. there are improvements. I mean, virtual right. hearings, I think, have been a big win for the council and have allowed people to participate from wherever they are. They can tag in for their 60 seconds. And Right. You know. Right. Um, I think that, um, you know, the virtual hearings have really allowed for people to participate and feel like they can touch their government from wherever they are. Um, a lot of it being because so many people have smartphones. So you could just like, you know, click the link. Um, we have some kinks to work out in terms of, um, you know, making it centralized where people can find out where hearings are going to take place on the, you know, on the interwebs. But I think that um, that's something we're, we're not gonna get rid of. And I, I think that that's actually for the better. 
Um, although it would be cool to have people come in to testify in person and those kinds of things. So hopefully some of my colleagues um, will figure out or think creatively around what a hybrid approach might look like um, in terms of that. Because I don't know, I, I think for some of uh having that in-person piece might force people to pay attention more <laughs> to the, to what's being said and engage, you know, um, more in terms of, uh, questioning. Yeah. I mean, virtual, I mean, a digital divide aside, I think, you know, it's a big equity win because people who can't afford to take the whole day off and right. sit right. in the, you know, folks have been in airport, uh, restroom stalls and from uh, homeless encampments and from students in schools. Yeah, I mean, hallways of schools. Yep. Could never have done it before. And that's just such a big, a big win. Um, the uh, my, my little factoid is um, back during the flu uh, pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic, um, to try to uh, avoid crowding, the government had staggered work hours. So people wouldn't all be in mass transit at the same time. Mm -hmm. And after the pandemic was done, they were like, you know what, this is actually good for a bunch of other reasons. And they ended up keeping staggered. That's why some people come in at seven and leave at four or whatever. Um, and I think that's sort of the um, tiny silver lining to a terrible pandemic with COVID is there are a few things that we came up with for the COVID reason, but that we'll, we'll keep moving forward because they're just smarter and better. Yep. Um, so, so anyway, on, um, in terms of the main topic of our conversation, uh, I always solicit from council members, you know, are there any topics that you'd like to talk about? Um, your office sent over a long list and um, the one that it was difficult, they were all good choices. And if only I had a way to vote for more than one, um, but I don't. So you see where I'm going with this? I see where you're going. This is a nice tie-in. Uh -huh. So uh, I'm pretty proud of this. Uh, so the topic we chose is ranked choice voting mm -hmm. because you are a big advocate of ranked choice voting. And much like the long list of topics for our interview, um, we only get to pick one topic. I'm going to pretend we only get to pick one topic because um, it's a short show. So uh, first, why don't you fill people in who don't know on what ranked choice voting is as a concept and the specifics of your proposed bill? Yep. So um, ranked choice voting is often sometimes also referred to as instant runoff voting. Um, it comes into play when you have a competitive election um, with uh, multiple candidates and you don't have someone who reaches 50 percent plus one of the vote in approval. Um, if that were the case, the person who has the least number of. Uh, well. Let me back up. <laughs> Uh, if you don't have 50% plus one, the person who has the least number of votes, um, they are eliminated. And then whoever the, the votes from those voters are then reallocated to other folks. That's how it works from a tabulation standpoint. From a voter experience standpoint, you have the opportunity to uh, rank the candidates as your first choice, your second choice, your third choice, and so on and so forth. Um, and then essentially we do instant runoffs until um, you have a candidate who wins 50% of the vote. The idea behind this is that um, in our elections right now, um, we have folks who can win a race with as little as 12% of the vote, or in my case, 15% of the vote. Um, when we look at the body now, especially on the at-large uh, uh, standpoint, I believe 
only one person has had 50% of the vote. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the chairman. Um, everyone else has been elected with under 50%. And I feel like that isn't necessarily representative of the full uh, voice and spectrum of voters. And that if our elections are going to be competitive going forward, we should perhaps ask ourselves whether or not um, we should rethink how we select our candidates. And to be fair or unfair to the chairman, uh, in his first at large race, well, he had <laughs> similar to yours. So, uh, um, so there's that. Um, now, one question I had was, again, I'm thinking of everything through the, the metric of social media, just because that's where I spend a lot of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in some social media, there is a like and a dislike button. Um, you know, and YouTube has been was flirting with getting rid of dislikes, and, and now they're sort of back. But yeah. What would you say to people that say this is less a chance to rank people you want to vote for, but really a chance to ding the people you want to vote against? Um, is there is there an element of that or is it really just if there's sort of a um, a couple candidates that you're really excited about and you really want to be able to do that number two vote? Yeah, no, I, I think it's the latter. Um, one of the things that we have found in jurisdictions that have done ranked choice voting is that it has actually changed the tenor and tone of the campaign going forward. So there's like actually less negative campaigning because um, a candidate, you're not just trying to get your first choice voters. You are also trying to get the support of people who you may not be their first, but you might be their second choice. Um, you really want to, to, to get their support. So if this goes to an instant runoff, if you will, um, you are getting as many votes as possible. You're in the business of getting, um, trying to uh, put together a coalition that can get you over the finish line with 50% of the vote by the end of the tabulation um, that has taken place. And so I don't, I would say that, I, I like the frame better from, um, you know, this gives you an opportunity to fully support the candidates that you want to support um, and not necessarily thinking about it from a negative standpoint. What? It's like. I, I'm just, I'm trying to think through the, the math. If someone, and, and it's my last question on the negative side of this, if someone got the most last choice votes, that really is never going to be captured. To, because it really is just how many, unless they got the fewest top votes, they're not going to drop off the algorithm until fairly late in the count. Um, I'm trying to think about it in the way that you describe, but yeah. yes. I mean, if you got the most last choice picks, you would be last <laughs> and you would be eliminated. Right. I'm just trying to think through a scenario where you got sort of 50 percent and not 50 percent because that's a key number, but a ton of number ones and a ton of number sevens, like where that person would come out in the as the sort went through. Oh, I, I think that's hard to sort of predict. Um, have you got a, a ton of number ones and a ton of number at the end? Yeah, I think that one is kind of hard to predict what would happen there. Do you do you think there'll be a lot of um, gaming, attempted gaming of the system by sort of super smart voters of, you know, you get seven votes, but don't 
you know, only cast three of them or, you know, a lot of sort of maybe coalition building like you're talking about where like there's one or two people that you think might campaign mm-hmm. together even because they have somewhat similar mindsets. Yeah, I mean, so I, I wouldn't necessarily call it gaming, but I think that there are different strategies that might come into play. There are strategies that people have in play for our current election system, right? So um, in the at-large race where you have two votes, um, there are some people who bullet vote because they believe that that is more beneficial to their candidate. And so for those who are listening, bullet voting is just only exercising one of your votes, not doing any, not um, selecting a second person. Um, we have a lot of that actually that happens in the district, um, it, it, uh, conscious or unconsciously, because I think some people don't realize that you can vote for two people. Um, so actually when I ran for office, a lot of my campaign was around educating people that you do have two votes in the at-large race. Like you, you, you can vote for the Democrat, but then you also do have another option to select an independent because regardless of whether or not um, you do, two people are going to win. So might as well contribute (laughs) and get two people who you actually like. Um, So that strategy is already kind of out there and and, and in play. Um, You know, I think we've seen in other jurisdictions, New York City was the most recent of jurisdictions to do and and the largest, frankly, to have ranked choice voting for its local elections for um, both city council um, mayor, DA, and a couple of other uh, positions. Um, towards the end, you did see two candidates kind of endorse each other and say, you know, I want my people to rank me one and then rank her two or and, and vice versa. Um, I just think that it, it, it brings a bit more of a competitive um, uh, and, and refreshness actually to our democracy. I feel like ranked choice voting forces people to again, be in the business of talking to voters and as many people as possible. I think now in DC, um, because you can sort of think, oh, well, I only need 13% or I only need 15%, you target very, like uh, folks target who they're talking to. And in some cases, some candidates say, you know, well, I don't even need to talk to anybody in this particular ward or in this particular part of the city because I can win this election if I just turn out here and here. Um, and ranked choice voting, I think, would, um, you know, put it into that type of campaigning, in my opinion. How do you think the education of the voters would be undertaken? I think it there would need to be a mammoth, mammoth education campaign to get, make sure people, it's such an interesting, subtle, uh, thoughtful way of voting um, for the voters who are, you know, champing at the bit to, to, to start it. But for the run-of-the-mill voter, um, it offers them so much power and so much potential, but they really just need to know how to do it. So how would you recommend breaking through and doing that education? Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up, it, it does have so much potential of having so much power, but education is pivotal. And so that's why in the legislation, we require um, the Board of Elections to engage in a high level um, on the ground, like very robust voter education and outreach program to explain to people how this works. Um, and, you know, wh- how we've seen this be successful in other jurisdictions, it's really been civic organizations and, you know, all of those pieces as part of the democratic apparatus um, who have really tried to uh, explain to voters in the best way hey, this is how it works. And sometimes that's like a mock election. So there are organizations like Fair Vote 
that have online tools where you can set up your own ranked choice voting election and, you know, whatever capacity that you have it in, in life. So, um, for instance, in my personal life, um, my book club, for instance, picks the next book using ranked choice voting. Um, there are folks who can select, okay, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Cause I know that you like to talk about ice cream flavors. Um, you can set up that type of ranked choice voting, um, situation. It, it, I think once people are used to the idea, it becomes easier. Um, I know that there have been a lot of criticism um, of this legislation who have said it's just entirely too complicated for people to understand. And I just don't buy that. I have a lot more faith in DC voters that if presented with information um, in clear and concise manner that they can understand, they can adapt and they can also change as well. Um, it's funny that you brought up the ice cream because <laughs> um, longtime uh, viewers of this show, first of all, bless your hearts if you're longtime viewers of the show, um, you're patient people. But, um, you know, the first interview, we always end with with voting ranked or uh, sequential voting of dessert categories. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm sure there's maybe an app or something I can plug the results in from all the council members voting. It's a little bit what I had in the back of my mind when I was talking about high popularity, high unpopularity, because ice cream is by far the winner of number one votes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Candy has a ton of number five votes. and I'm just kind of thinking through how, you know, that was what I was sort of thinking through when I asked the earlier question. Um, I, I, I am just curious that, you know. It's tabulated in rounds, though. So we, we, we add up first choices. Right, right, right. Before you get to fifth choices. Right. But each person still needs to vote. It doesn't need to, but has the opportunity to vote every candidate with a ranking and then it just as they're analyzed you might never pull from the later rankings uh yeah right of each voter yeah yeah that Mm -hmm. makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah so it sounds like fairly early ice cream would just win in this in this scenario in this scenario i think it would win right right away because it's over 50 percent there you go so we wouldn't even get to the ranked uh, we're done (laughs) um and um and then in that in that case, when the data is published, you're just publishing who got what percent of the number one votes. Um, so, I mean, the data is, it can be published in multiple ways. Um, so in, in, in the jurisdictions who do this well, um, they essentially publish the data or, or the outcomes after each round. Mm-hmm. So you see what, how many first choice votes were tabulated and you can see exactly there and then you can see, okay, who's the bottom. And then once those folks uh, votes are reallocated, then another tabulation is run and then they put out the data for what happened in round two. So you can see over time how um, it changed and, and, and how the preferences of voters sort of shuck out um, fully and completely. But then once you hit 50%, they stop publishing the results. It's never, you never see what would have happened if all the number seven votes got counted. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. How in New York would be, again, would be the place to turn. You know, I can see if we were mainly voting in polling places, there could be a lot of on-site education while you're waiting in line. But now that we're voting by mail and Dropbox and maybe even eventually uh, online voting, mm-hmm. that I would think... Uh, 
could either facilitate or complicate the education. I think it actually makes it a little bit easier because in that particular case, like if you think about it, or at least in what happened this last election, right? We sent every um, registered voter a ballot to their homes. We also sent you a voter guide to your homes. There are some people who sat down with both, (laughs) right? Right. They sat down with their voter guide and they sat down with their ballot. And that is an opportunity to educate in those early pages as you're going through your voter guide of this is how you fill out your ballot. Um, And then it's sort of just explaining what ranked choice voting is right there. There There's some people who are visual, you know, um, who are learners great from reading. There are some who are visual learners. So perhaps we would embed a QR code that would take you to a video that can explain it visually, you know, hey, this is the options for there. Um, If you did decide to fill out your ballot in person and go, there's an opportunity for you to ask questions because there's somebody who's gonna be on site who can explain to you how you fill out your ballot. So I think that, Um, Even with all of our methods of voting, we have opportunities um, embedded for education in the same manner that we have now. Um, And I think that, you know, regardless of whether or not ranked choice voting gets through um, in this particular council period, I still think that there is a great amount of voter education that we need to do on just our existing system. Um, I cannot tell you how many people who I met uh, during early vote outside of a polling location who came because they were like, okay, I know I'm voting for president, right? They were motivated to come because they were here to vote against the former president. And then you have to stop and say, okay, but there are local races on the ballot. And let me give you like, as little, let me give you as much as I can in this one minute of educating you on, you have local races on the ballot, both the entire ballot, you get two votes for at-large race, and then, you know, whatever your elevator pitch is. But, um, you know, I think when you look at the data of how many people in our elections currently, especially during an election year, go in, they vote for president, and then they don't do anything else on the ballot, we already are failing in terms of providing education there and we need to do more. So I think that this presents, um, you know, talking about our elections, um, even in off years, I think presents us with an opportunity to refine, to get better. Um, Perhaps some people are tuning in more um, and, and are thinking about what they're gonna do come our next election, which will be in June. What are you hearing from your colleagues so far on this bill? And what do you think is sort of the legislative timeline for it moving forward? Do you have a sense? Well, so we had a hearing. <laughs> we had a lot of witnesses <laughs> who um, signed up for this. And I, and I just want to take a moment to say that this legislation has been introduced, I think, up to three times before at the council and it's never gotten a hearing. It was introduced by my former um, boss several times and it's never gotten to this place of having a hearing. So we had a hearing with, um, you know, a robust number of witnesses, many who are for, many who are against. Um, This goes through the the Judiciary Committee. Um, I don't know what the fates hold in terms of the committee. I'm not on the Judiciary Committee, so I don't have a vote in that process. I just kind of have to sort of see where my colleagues are going to go and see where they're going to go in terms of um, the calendar. Uh, You know, this wouldn't be implemented until 2024. There would be a cost associated with it. So like there's so many different pieces here in terms of uh, the legislative process um, that 
have to kind of be worked out. I don't think that realistically speaking, this bill wouldn't pass before the budget process happened. Um, so we wouldn't have money available and we'd have to wait and da, 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 da. There, there are a lot of moving parts here. Um, but we'll kind of see what happens. I think that, you know, we're about to have a primary. So I have a number of my colleagues who aren't going to make any sudden moves <laughs> until after June, if I'm just going to, uh, be honest about the situation and, um, and then we'll kind of go from there. But, um, for those who are listening, who are fans of this legislation, I, I don't anticipate any, um, movement if at all until, um, the second half of, of next year. Do you say, I mean, given that, that the upcoming election wouldn't be affected by this right. anyway, in any way, do you think folks would, uh, colleagues would hesitate to express themselves because they think it'll turn people on or off, or I'm, I'm trying to think why they would be mum uh, until after June. Well, I think some might feel like they might be turned off. Um, the, uh, you know, that's the DC Democratic Party did a resolution in opposition to the legislation. Um, so anyone who is running in June is a Democrat. So, you know, you kind of have to make a decision about whether or not you are going to um, go against the party on this, um, if you will. Uh, I haven't had a conversation with the mayor about it, but that's also, you know, another piece. Um, where is she on this? And if we were to get it through the legislative process, is this something that she would support or is this something that she would veto? Um, so, you know, I think for all of the angst that some people have about ranked choice voting, um, I, I am less angsty <laughs> um, just because I know that the legislative process is what the legislative process is. Um, but I also know too, um, from past experience, having worked at the council is that just because you don't get something done in that first year or in that first council period, doesn't mean that the idea is dead. It just means that you have to do more work to get people to come around. Um, the example that I use there is you know, when I was a staffer here in 2013 and I was working for Councilmember David Grasso, we introduced a bill on to, to bring uh, tax and regulate of cannabis, recreational cannabis sales here in the District of Columbia. He was the only person who was on that bill. No other council member signed on um, in, in support of that legislation. Uh, now, fast forward to where we are now, right? Um, you know, only, what, eight years or so later, um, the mayor is in favor of it. Um, almost every council member signed on to legislation on the bill to, to bring tax and regulate. Um, we see, are speaking in a unified voice to Congress to say, remove the rider to allow us to do this. And so, you know, wow, look how things have changed over time. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm not of a defeatist uh, attitude in terms of like, oh, if it doesn't happen, it's never going to happen. No. Nope you know, sometimes progress takes time. Right. And it's not just bills. It's also candidates that, I mean, not, not yourself, but a number of candidates uh, on the council had to run and lose and run again to win. Um, So, you know, they, they know how ranked choice voting works in one sense, in the sense that they didn't, weren't number one the first time, but they come back and, and they can win. Um, so super quickly on a second topic that I know mm-hmm. is, uh, is very important is, um, uh, vaccine mandate for students. Yes. Um, that just, uh, you know, I'm not sure when folks will be watching this or, or listening to this, but, uh, in terms of when we're, um, 
doing the interview just passed a couple of days ago. Um, talk quickly about the bill that went through and uh, the timetable for it. Yep. So on Tuesday, the the council voted a unanimous. Well, it wasn't unanimous. The council voted uh, in support of legislation um, to require. Uh, that all students be uh, immunized um, in, against the coronavirus, as well as childcare workers. Um, and it also um, required DC Health to facilitate an electronic reporting system in terms of immunizations going forward. Um, most people who have kids in childcare systems or who have attended public schools know that we already have a list of vaccine requirements in order for your young person to attend um, school or childcare in congregate settings, uh, measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox, polio, HPV, et cetera. And so we just add COVID-19 to the list of required vaccines. Um, and you know, this would enforcement of this would start next school year, school year 22, 23. Um, but we do have a deadline of getting that done by March. Um, there are already, uh, a vaccine mandate that is in place, um, for both of these categories. So for childcare workers, there's a mayor's order that requires all childcare workers to be vaccinated. Um, we are just adding this to code, um, and to ensure that this is something that is part of the annual reporting that happens. So not just this one time, but going forward in the future, if there are boosters, et cetera, to just show that you are continue uh, to maintain immunity uh, against this virus. Um, and then we already have a vaccine mandate for student athletes. So if you wanted to participate in extracurricular student athletics here in the district, your young person already has to be vaccinated against COVID-19 as well. So um, this was something that, you know, was super important to me because I know from the data that vaccination is the best tool that we have to protect um, uh, people against, uh, severe sickness and even death as a result of this virus. And so we need to get people vaccinated and boosted. And, uh, we've seen that mandates work. I think the challenge, uh, comes when the, the same kids who may struggle to get vaccinated are the kids that we most need in school. Mm -hmm. So what, what happens when those two intersect. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of the, the, the reasons why, um, we don't have the enforcement this school year, um, because we, it was so important for young people to be in person, but we also know, and, um, you know, I'm getting ready to send a letter to Asi on this question, right? We also know that there are some children who are contracting COVID and they're missing school. We know that there are some students who are, um, you know, missing, I say missing school, they're missing in-person instruction. We know that there are students who are having to miss in-person instruction due to being quarantined because someone in their community and their bubble and their pod has also contracted it as well. And so um, if vaccination can bring those numbers down of you missing days of school, um, I think we need to push that as much as we can to get those folks um, vaccinated. Uh, if we, as with any um, of our normal immunizations as well, it's not an immediate turnoff. So, uh, and by that, I mean, if you are not currently up to date on, on your childhood immunization, the routine childhood immunizations, there's no school in the district who is immediately saying no. 
But we do have school nurses who are able to use this um, inflection point as an opportunity to educate families um, and to perhaps help them access uh, immunization and vaccine. So maybe it's you don't know where to go. Um, maybe you haven't been able to get an appointment. Um, this is an opportunity for the school community to also check in here um, and, and, and tie you to public health resources uh, so you can get covered. Gotcha. Um, okay, well, we're almost out of time. We're gonna pivot to the fun, fun closing questions. Okay. We're good. Um, so, uh, you know, as I said last time, we did the dessert rankings, and you are my first in the history of this program, my first ever dessert twin, where we had the exact parallel uh, dessert rankings. Yep. Ice cream, candy, cookies, cake, pie. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> We're also both wearing yellow shirts. So I think there's some sort of a. No, we didn't mind, plan mind this mind for mind. anybody who's watching us. No, no. We didn't, <laughs> that'd be weird. That would be weird. Um, <laughs> Um, but anyway, so the fun round this time around, um, and, uh, and now, as you say, you're approaching your first anniversary, so you're, you're well-equipped to answer this now. Okay. I'm going to ask you a random task, and I want you to tell me which of your colleagues you think would be best suited to that task. Oh. And it's a speed <laughs> round, an answer, super brief, maybe a why, and then we'll do the next. Okay. Um, assembling Ikea furniture. Um. Brooke. Okay, and why? Um, she seems like somebody who follows directions. <laughs> and that's like, you need that with IKEA furniture. <laughs> Correct. Um, how about uh, driving cross country? Um, who would be best equipped for that? No, who would you most enjoy or most appreciate uh, having as your guest driving across country? Oh, Janice. She seems down for anything. And I feel like oh. if you're going to if you're going to drive across country and you see a, a random sign of like the biggest world's biggest squash, you want somebody next to you who's going to be like, hey, we got, we should we should go yes. get a picture of that. Right. Not like we're on a timeline. Right. Not on. Yeah. Somebody who is can be spontaneous enough to enjoy the experience. OK, how about uh, cooking up a feast? Cooking up a feast. Oh, I haven't had the cooking of any of my colleagues, so I don't know. <laughs> How, is anyone a foodie? Do you say anyone whose food sense you would trust? Well, I think there's a difference between food sense and food and cooking ability. Valid I'm a, point. I'm a pass on that one because I haven't had anybody's cooking yet. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a little COVID asterisk. Is you, right. you probably had a little more... Uh, shared food opportunities if things were different. Correct, correct. Um, how about compiling a musical playlist? Who would you trust to make and hand off a playlist to you? Uh, Robert. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did any experience in that or you just think he has a level music head on his shoulders? I think he has a level music head on his shoulders. He's also, you know, a DC native, so he gets it from the go-go standpoint, but, um, you know, he and I have been to a couple of barbecues together, so I think I like his musical taste uh, in that regard. I would trust him with the playlist. Okay, now this one, and this one is particularly, uh, should be particularly meaningful to you, babysit. Oh, Mary. Okay. Yeah, Mary's that. a grandmother. She had she liked she uh um her granddaughter and my daughter are about the same age. 
And Mary has done, I know, significant babysitting with her own grandchildren. Um, so I, I would trust Mary the, uh, or any of my colleagues. Well, no, I would trust Mary. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I'm kind of dying to hear where that sentence was going to go, but we'll, we'll just let it slide. Um, okay. And the final one, uh, and, and my favorite, is uh, fighting off barbarians. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> fighting off my parents. Yeah. I, I need a rally on this one. I, I, I know. To- I mean, probably Trayon because he thinks outside of the box. And I feel like if we're going to fight off barbarians, we're going to need some creative thinking in terms of how we win. <laughs> the, the fascinating thing is by far the winner in fighting off barbarians. Mary Chick. Oh, really? Well, frankly, fighting off barbarians, babysitting. It yeah, you know, it can, it actually could work. That's you know. Oh wow! So, do you publish your rankings of these at the end of the year? <laughs> uh, I I I don't know. I mean, again, rank choice voting maybe could help. It could be. Oh, I mean, I'm just Although curious. Percent uh, of the vote. So. Oh. Wow. Um, but yeah, I I do I do have a spreadsheet. Um. Uh, I've published the dessert spreadsheet. I don't think I've ever published this uh, spreadsheet, but uh, it, it is pretty funny. And hearing, most interesting is hearing people's thought process <laughs> about like, oh, hell no, I'm not going to let them do a musical playlist because I heard them listening to blah, blah, blah. And no. Uh, <laughs> there are some of my colleagues who our musical tastes do not align and I already know that. Like I would never pick Alyssa to do a musical playlist. And she, I think, was actually the one who dinged uh, David Grasso because he had a Grateful Dead sticker or something on his car or something like that. I don't, I don't quite remember. It's been oh, a while. Oh, see, if David were my colleague, I would actually, I mean, he has, I've seen his record collection. Like, mm-hmm. he has really good taste in, 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 in music and, and jazz and, and those kinds of things as well. And if, I mean, honestly, if I had the opportunity to pick myself, I would just pick myself. But, like, I couldn't in that particular question, given the frame. But. I think Robert would work out. I hope he doesn't disappoint. (laughs) Well, we shall see. We shall see. Um, Well, thank you once again for humoring me uh, by doing the show in the first place and by doing the goofy questions uh, in particular. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Um, So sorry, folks, we're out of time. Uh, See you next time. Please uh, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, thanks for joining us. Um, we're on DC Radio at 96.3 FM HD4 or dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, council member. Take care. You too. See you in person eventually. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.